Beautiful rendition. Julia is here. For those of you with children who'd like to meet her at the back, get your Bible bags. The rest of us, let's turn to Romans chapter 12. The most complete of the epistles, the first of the epistles of Paul. Some people say reading Romans gives you a complete seminary education. So read the book well and read it deeply and read it often. It's an amazing epistle. We're going to start with the ninth verse in just a moment of the twelfth chapter. And of course, he begins this text by saying, Let love be genuine. And oftentimes, we think of love only in romantic terms. We have this picture in our mind of ourselves walking arm in arm with our one and only and feeling that we're going to be happy ever after in a room without a roof. And it's this wonderful uh, romantic tale. But such a view, of course, not only misunderstands romance, uh, but it misunderstands that deeper God love that God intends for mature hearts and mature minds to express as we follow His ways in this world. God's love is the word agape, as you know. It's not a romantic moment, but it's a powerful medicine to heal this warring madness that so overtakes us, the illnesses of the soul and of relationships that plague us. Even the most optimistic and positive person among us recognizes that these last few weeks have been horrifically difficult for humanity. Something is terribly wrong with us. As a congregation, we of course feel it most strongly with the loss of Bill and the loss of Pat. In the prime of their lives, they are taken, and something's horribly wrong with that. But we also grieve over the shootings at Isla Vista and Goleta, the Ebola breakout that is plaguing Africa and seems to be spreading from nation to nation, the children that are killed in Ferguson, Missouri, Ottawa, Kansas, Gaza, and Israel. Iraq and Syria, the hatred of ISIS and Al-Qaeda, and on and on. It's easy to recognize that humanity has lost its way, that love perhaps is just a fantasy overpowered by the real world in which you and I actually live. Arguably the most daunting concern currently of this diseased humanity is seen in the actions of ISIS. As you may know, on June the 29th, Dr. Ibrahim, who has an earned PhD in Islamic studies at the University of Baghdad, declared himself to be the caliph of the caliphate of ISIS, the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. That means, within Muslim world, he claims to be the successor of Muhammad, supreme religious and political leader of all Muslims throughout the world. As the supreme leader, Caliph Abraham, has now not only been brutally cleansing Iraq of Christians, but is calling on the Muslim world to follow him to Rome, where he will establish the supremacy of Islam throughout Europe, as well as the Middle East, and as you'll see in a quote later, the entire world. 
When I was with our bishop this last week on the cruise that we were taking together with the leadership team, he told us that all of our churches in Iraq are now closed. Our churches in Jordan are taking in literally hundreds and hundreds who were able to get away before the, the brutal cleansing began. And they've been kind of overwhelmed. And they're driven from their homes, as you know, because of their unyielding allegiance to Jesus Christ. Now, in that context, what does agape, God's love, look like? How do the words of Jesus, as quoted by Paul to the church in Rome, the seat of great oppressive power, how do they apply to us today in the world in which we live? Or to bring it closer to home, moving it away from ISIS and Middle East, the racial and economic division in Ferguson, Missouri, is pervasive, representative of many neighborhoods in our nation. We've all read the statistics, the systemic inequities. This city in St. Louis County is grieving not only because of the loss of a young boy, Michael Brown, but the loss of love and justice and community that it signifies and that is being talked now. So what does love look like in Ferguson, Missouri? How do we read the words of Jesus and Paul in the light of that? Paul writes his letter to the Christians in Rome only a, a few months before he's actually going to be unjustly accused, beaten by the religious and political leaders of his day, these caliph-like rulers required him to have religious and political allegiance to Caesar rather than to Jesus. And in hauntingly similar ways, Paul lived what our fellow Christians in Iraq have just experienced in these last few weeks. And Paul is the pawn of powerful systemic forces, as are the people of Ferguson, Missouri, and all places of injustice. So the world is not, in fact, different now than it was when Jesus gave these words to Paul and expected Paul to communicate them to us and to live by his ways. So we're going to take this walk through these teachings of Paul, who's teaching the words of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that primary call where he says, let love be genuine, or as the NIV will translate it, our love must be sincere. So Romans chapter 12, we're going to begin with the ninth verse and go through the 21st verse. Paul writes, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. 
Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, for leave, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I keep that open before you as we study these words together. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, when we place your words within context, both historically and currently, we're aware that you're talking about something that's very different from human life. It's a, it's a transcendent life. It's a life where death knows no sting, where there's a, a trust and a patience in your power rather than the powers of this world. And I confess, and perhaps there are some here who would confess that that's hard to live that in the kind of world in which we live. And if we're going to truly be your people in that way, I'm going to need your help. We're all going to need your help. And so be with us. Talk to us uniquely. Allow us to have a, a clear sense of what it means to truly be uh, persons who love and who love an enemy. And of course, we'll do it all to your glory and to your praise and to your eternal kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. The key, according to Paul, is to make sure that love is sincere. The word that Paul uses there, anupokritos, can be translated genuine, let love be genuine, let it be sincere, let it be without any hypocrisy. Now those three meanings caught my mind as I was doing my Greek study. And I was thinking, what does genuine, sincere, without hypocrisy, love, look like in Iraq? What does it look like in Gaza? What does it look like in Ferguson? Immediately we realize if we apply it to those actual situations, we realize that agape is not a, a wishful fantasy of everyone to just get along and, and live happily ever after. Can't we all just, just get along? It's a deliberate, humble, intentional sacrifice that puts the needs of the others sincerely, genuinely, without hypocrisy before our own. In fact, it's even more than that. It is hating, abhorring anything that's causing evil to them. And you remember that evil is the inversion of the word live, L-I-V-E. Anything that takes the life out of a person, the life out of their body, their career, their self-esteem, their spiritual walk with God, Abhor that which is evil. Cling. And the word there comes from the actual root word to, to glue together, to cement yourself onto the goodness that they could experience. Be devoted. There the word is philostorgos. And it describes the love that a parent has for a child that would willingly die in their place were it possible. 
a husband for a wife, a wife for a husband, who would lay down their lives for them. Philostorgos is a loving devotion to the other's well-being before your own. Genuine love is an honoring, Paul says. It's a valuing preference of the other before we place the needs of ourselves on the table. We make sure that they are fed. In other words, the, the love God gives is a genuine, sincere, without hypocrisy devotion to and valuing the actual life and well-being of the other as if they were our own child, our own spouse, abhorring anything that would harm their life. And then to make sure we don't misunderstand, Paul expands even more and he says that this zealous love is how we serve God. That's what service to God looks like. That this love is the source then of joy. You are created for this service for others. And if you want joy, real joy, something that gives you purpose and meaning, a joy that God creates within us, then it comes from hopeful, faithful patience and affliction agape love the people around us, generously caring for those in need, treating the whole world as if they're, they are our family and not them. That's what the word hospitality means, that we are open to all. And of course, as Jesus taught, Paul reminds us that we are to love those who persecute us, to not think of ourselves as better than them. And he then reminds us to not repay evil with evil, for by so doing, evil just multiplies, and evil becomes even more prevalent within the world. And insofar as it depends on us, we are to live at peace with all people, insofar as we can. And do not, of course, take revenge. Leave that to God. But now, surely... Paul does not expect us to give that kind of love to Dr. Ibrahim when he murders the children. Or does he? And if he does, how? How do we do that in the world in which you and I live? What is the Christian church's response to ISIS? If Ibrahim intends to make Europe and then the world a Muslim state under Sharia law with the subjugation of women, the beheading of Christians, what does genuine love look like then? Can it stand up for the women and children and Christians? Can it stand up to injustice and prejudice and economic inequality throughout the world? What does hating and abhorring evil look like? And how do we glue ourselves to what is good and devote ourselves to the well-being of all children everywhere? Because they are, in fact, children of ours. Well, again, Paul explains, it's not by giving back evil for evil or gaining power so that then we can force them to do our will or seeking revenge for what has already been done to us it's by give, living with a love that is genuine and sincere, humble and devoted. It is, in fact, by placing our hope in God to make all things right. And then being a part of that righteousness 
whenever and wherever we can, in whatever position we might have, or whatever resources or vote God might have provided to us, that we will actively make a difference in the injustice and pain of this world. I find the language of Pope Francis in response to Dr. Ibrahim compelling. This is what he says in his issued statement to ISIS. He said, never war, never war. I am thinking above all of children who are deprived of the hope of a worthwhile life, a future. Dead children, wounded children, mutilated children, orphaned children, children whose toys are things left over from war, children who don't know how to smile. Please stop. I ask you with all my heart, it's time to stop. Stop, please. In modern times, we had a grand Christian response to the years of injustice and violence in the nation of South Africa and the Truth and Reconciliation Commission at the end of the 1990s. Without hypocrisy or denying any of the evil that had been done in that nation, Bishop Tutu and President Mandela had the perpetrators of evil face the very victims of their deeds and, in some cases, children and grandchildren of their victims. They admitted what they did, confessed it fully, asked for forgiveness, and began a process of reconciliation that that truth made possible. Now there have been many who say that it worked only for a short while and the violence has continued because the systemic injustice and racial prejudice continues. And no one would argue that fact. It's not enough to just have personal reconciliation. Love must be genuine in the legal and the political and the economic and the social systems, not just on a personal basis between two people where injustice occurred. Truth and reconciliation must be a way of life in which sincere, genuine, without hypocrisy love is expressed by everyone, regardless of the behavior of the caliph or the shooter or the perpetrator of evil. It's interesting to me that even in the Christian community, we often see love as an inadequate response to the horrors of evil. As I said in my earlier prayer, I struggle with that. If, as the Pope cries out, please stop, and ISIS doesn't, I want someone to stop them. And whether or not it is my hands that do the stopping, if it is my heart that has placed faith in the strength of horses or chariots or drones or cruise missiles, then I read the words of Jesus and I read the words of Paul and I read the fact that he explains that that will not solve the problem that only the love of God expressed on the cross and in our hearts is strong enough to bring the healing balm that is needed in this world. And in those moments, I'm silenced. I go to a deeper place of thought and of 
wondering if I can truly trust in that deep and compelling way. As we go to God in prayer, I'm going to ask God to give me a love that's genuine, that's sincere, and that's without hypocrisy, and that has a faithful trust in Him. I encourage you to join me in that prayer. I encourage us as a people of God to trust the Word of God and the power of God and the ways of God. For this war in madness is a, a compelling and obtrusive reality. So let's spend time with him.